1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome to hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, February 7th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Your calls in this hour around 12.15 if you'd like to chime in. 602-260-1060 is the number. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is officially a question that we will be answering in Friday's show for Friday Spread, brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, but continually updating it as the big game is abound. Who do you have in the Super Bowl, Kansas City plus two or San Francisco minus two? This keeps going back and forth here. Kansas City now out in front, plus two at 51% of the vote san francisco minus two at 49 percent uh you know just looking at the indecision or the closeness of this race here does that suggest that we uh we have two good teams ahead of us because we can't quite parse what we think is going to happen hopefully (laughs) yeah that uh it's interesting uh one thing we'll break down tomorrow with uh, matt derrick from chiefs digest is you know, we talked with Matt Mayoko today, and San Francisco is, you know, whether, other than guys that have been on injured reserve for a few weeks now, they're relatively healthy and as healthy as they've been in a long time. Not the case with the Chiefs. So we got four or five guys we need to find out about uh, before kickoff, obviously. I don't think we're going to really know a whole lot about a couple of these guys until, you know, the inactives 90 minutes before the game on Sunday. But, uh, you know, the one thing that's a you know, I know a lot of people that are surprised that Kansas City is actually not favored in this game, that they're an underdog. But uh, we'll get into that, I think, in more detail on Friday. But the fact that, uh, you know, what people that the folks that just think that Kansas City is the better team, clearly they have more injury questions entering this game than San Francisco does. Yes, that's definitely true. Um, And. It, yeah, and I have some numbers that we'll get into around 1230 instead of answering the poll question uh, back from 2019, the 2019 season when they faced each other. So we'll do that uh, instead of officially answering the question around 1230, but still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Tossing it on over to X at KDUS AM 1060. Should it matter to the Diamondbacks that Clayton Kershaw is returning to the Dodgers? No continues to lead the way here significantly, 84.2% of the vote yes trailing at 15.8 percent that is a question though that we will officially answer around 12 30 today as i mentioned chime in if you'd like 12 15 602 260 1060 so i was uh reading the athletic put together 10 compelling super bowl stories to follow and i basically am just taking their 10 10 uh, storylines to follow, and we can put our own spin on these storylines here. 
And I think number one is appropriate to get your opinion on this. Having been uh, a person that has lived in Vegas, you've been a part of the gambling community and obviously watching sports and seeing this whole new progression into the acceptance of legalized sports wagering. So Vegas as a host city is the first compelling storyline here. The gambling aspect with the NFL fully embracing legalized gambling. They have, in fact, told their players to stay out of the casinos and they can't bet on the Super Bowl, uh, which I would certainly hope they're not betting on the Super Bowl. But uh, also with that in mind, the Chiefs and the 49ers are staying about 45 minutes away from the Strip. Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, I think uh, just going back historically, I lived in Vegas from 88 to 94 Went there a first time in the late 70s, early 80s, 79. I think it was the first time I went there. Started going on a regular basis, uh, regular when I was living in Prescott. Uh, during football season, at least a couple of weeks per, you know, per month during football season. Uh, so, but, it, but when I moved there in 88, you, know, they didn't, you couldn't bet on UNLV games in the state of Nevada. Uh, basketball or football, you know, anybody cared about their football program, but their basketball program was a national champion in 1990 and the runner-up and the big favorite in 1991. So there was a lot, the, the, the world's changed, bottom line. And, you know, the thought was that, you know, this Vegas will never get a professional sports franchise, let alone be to the point where it is now. You know, obviously the hockey team, Won the uh, won the uh, the Stanley Cup a couple years ago. The Raiders are there now. The A's, depending on you know, apparently the mayor yeah. of Las Vegas now doesn't want the A's there. She like actually the mayor today. Well, that's a good move, and actually she she should know better because I think it's her husband that was the mayor when I lived there. Uh, you know, Oscar Goldman, I believe was her. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that their husband. Maybe that's her. Maybe that's her father. I don't know. That's the same last name. There's something a family thing there. He, sh- they should know better. Uh, but you know, there was you know the Vegas will never get a professional sports team. That's obviously changed. And now the fact that they're actually hoping hosting a Super Bowl is just uh, mind-boggling. I'm sure to Vegas residents from uh, you know years past. Now, the other thing about Vegas here is, uh, you know, what we had discussed a little bit earlier on in the week with the Chiefs getting the Raiders state-of-the-art facility and the 49ers have been stuck at UNLV. Also, Vegas experiencing a lot of the similar weather that we are with the rain and a lot of the rains overnight. So being able to practice in the Raiders state-of-the-art facility indoors while the 49ers are stuck maybe in poor conditions outside, uh, that isn't quite equitable. I talked about that. It's the first thing we talked about with Matt Mayoko from uh, CSN Bay Area in the uh, 1015 segment of the Sports Zone. That was the first thing we addressed. And uh, yeah, he uh, found it comical, I believe, is the term that he used. Uh, if it's, you didn't use that exact term, you get the gist. Uh, and that the NFL, the kind of what we said about this uh, earlier in the week, uh, the NFL's had years to plan this, and they screwed it up. And uh, you know, Matt mentioned that he's not all that surprised that the NFL screwed it up because, you know, once again, paraphrasing in this case, uh, the NFL screws up a lot of stuff that seems pretty elementary and shouldn't be an issue. 
Uh, then you have the second storyline here, Patrick Mahomes' pursuit of greatness. This is his fourth Super Bowl that he's playing in in his young career. And I think that sometimes we do this, uh, especially if it's not the team that we're rooting for. So if you're not a Chiefs fan, uh, there's a little bit of Chiefs fatigue. And uh, yeah. you, a lot of times people gravitate toward we're rooting for the underdog, uh, even though they are technically the underdog in the point spread. But uh, <laughs> my point here is, Sometimes I think when we're living in the moment of it, we uh, don't stop and appreciate what we're witnessing because uh, specifically to this year with Patrick Mahomes, every new challenge that they faced this season, he was able to overcome the obstacles. I know we saw a little bit of a different side of Patrick Mahomes at times this year with some outbursts and some anger on the sidelines and things like that when frustration billing over. But um, in the end, he and the the staff and everybody figured it out game plan wise when it mattered most in the playoffs and executed uh, to to perfection to get themselves in this Super Bowl. Well, they've actually changed everything completely as far as their offense goes. I mean, they're using two and three tight insets with frequency, especially these last couple of playoff games. That's something I'm going to get into with Matt Derrick from Chief Digest tomorrow. They clearly have changed things and. You know, I keep hearing this Brock Purdy game manager thing. I think you make a pretty good case that Patrick Mahomes has become a game manager for the Chiefs in the last few games here. Uh, number three, Andy Reid's growing legacy. Uh, he was regarded as a coach who was good but couldn't win the big one. Now he's sitting here making his fifth Super Bowl appearance here. So where do we stand on the coaching edge to Andy Reid you know, I am hearing a lot of that this week that when people are dissecting the game, they're saying coaching advantage, Andy Reid. Do you think it's that big of a gap? I think it's a big gap in coaching staffs because I don't think much of Steve Wilkes, uh, not just because of his days here when he was completely in over his head as the Cardinals head coach for the one year that he lasted, and he shouldn't have lasted like more than the first preseason game. Because it was obvious in training camp that he wasn't suited to be a coach, a head coach in the NFL. And I've wondered what the hell are they doing on defense more than once this year, including the playoffs the last couple of games against the NFC opponents. Uh, so my coaching staff, clearly there's an edge for the Chiefs. By the way, Andy Reid yesterday just he seemed to be, he almost never reacts uh, in a other than just a deadpan fashion in a press conference. But he seemed to be somewhat, uh, I don't know, irritated is probably too strong a word. But you could tell he was less than thrilled about the continual questions he's gotten that he's going to leave at the end of the year if they win the Super Bowl. He pretty much, at least from the way I took this, he eliminated any chance that he's going to retire if they win this game. Uh, then you also have here his legacy in general of joining a very small list of head coaches that have won back-to-back -back Super Bowls. So there's a lot there for, for Andy Reid in this particular game. But having Patrick Mahomes getting to these Super Bowls and winning has obviously done a lot to change the perception of him. Totally agree with the per perception's an excellent word. I hate the term legacy, though, because the eras of the NFL were so much different uh, now than they were back in the day when there were many more teams, in my opinion, that were capable of winning a Super Bowl. Now, I think there's only you know, three or four per year. 
that really have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Uh, and uh, yeah, that is much different than it was before. And that's why I don't care how many championships these guys win over the years. Joe Montana went through the most difficult gauntlet of defenses in history of any quarterback ever in the postseason. And he is the greatest quarterback in history of the NFL. Evolution of the Chiefs defense sitting here at number four. Uh, 17.3 points per game they gave up to opponents in the regular season. Dropped to 13.7 points per game in the postseason. First of all, how much is this Steve Spagnuolo for coming up with great game plans? But also, how much can we credit uh, maybe the whole coaching staff and whoever the scouting department and GM Brett Veach here for some of the drafts yeah. that they've had with these young players. And now that they're playing key roles too, I know a George Karloftis, Nick Bolton, Trent McDuffie, Legarius Sneed. Totally agree. I, I think uh, great that you brought up Veach. I'm, I'm going to bring up, uh, uh, I've got, you know, I've got too many notes in this game because we have two weeks to compile notes. So, uh, we, uh, in my large collection currently of notes regarding the Chiefs, Veach is on the list. Uh, I think he's done a tremendous job drafting. I'm glad you mentioned the scouting staff because they obviously they have a they have a uh, a formula plan, etc. They know what they're looking for, and they go out and get guys that fit their system. Uh, they've also gone out and got guys that are high level of uh, a high level of talent, especially in the secondary here the last couple of years, and it all just fits together. And I think that there were just too many organizations. Well, one reason is because a lot of organizations don't keep the same assistant coaches, scouts, general manager, head coach over a period of time. And a lot of these guys have been together for some time. In fact, Andy Reid talked about that this morning in his press conference. I saw some of that on NFL Network. Talked about the uh, cohesion that the, you know, the, the coaching staff actually has had more of a you know, long-term group, uh, long-term time together than the actual players. There, there are a whole bunch of dudes on this staff that have been here for a while. Uh, next up on the list here, and you know we're not we're not Swifties, but it's certainly a um, <laughs> a thing that uh, we have to pay attention to, right? It, it, we will be forced to pay attention to it. Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift come in at number five here. Kelsey, though, specifically with his I don't want to call it a resurrection, but uh, the ultimate uh, stepping up in the biggest moments: twenty-two catches, two hundred and sixty-two yards, three touchdowns in the postseason. So he's uh, really finding ways to be a contributor in the offense. Well, I think this, you know, I don't want to minimize his you know, performance here, but a lot of this has to do with the different scheme uh, with the two and three tight end sets, especially against the Ravens, where they kind of gained a lot of three tight end and hid him, uh, so to speak. Uh, behind, He wasn't at the line of scrimmage in some of the, he was like in a slot uh, for some of those you know, receptions, especially in the game when the, uh, yeah, he was unbelievable, as was Mahomes, who completed his first 11 passes in that game against the Ravens, who just can seem to just be dead set on playing zone defense every possession, which was stupid. Uh, but uh, whatever. But, uh, you know, Kelsey's been really good in the postseason for sure, but also think they've done a much, much better chance, uh, much better job of putting him into a situation where he's going to be more successful just formation-wise. And then, of course, I know you will be uh, tracking this 
uh, daily, refreshing as constantly as you can. Will Taylor make it back in time from Japan? <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll find out like three seconds. You know, I'm, I will not watch one second of any of the pregame crap. I could care less of the 63-hour pregame show on NFL Network. I guess ESPN's doing a four-hour you know, preview for their whatever they call it, the countdown on Sunday morning. I will not watch one second of any of that garbage. But I'm sure once the game starts that they'll you know, have a quick shot to Taylor Swift. And I assume there's a, probably a prop bet out there how many times does she appear on the, on the broadcast during the game and things like that. There, there cannot be anything in the world right now I care less about than Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. So you're not going to be hopping on over to the Canadian border to place a bet on whether or not Travis Kelsey will propose to Taylor Swift with the confetti coming down? I that's <laughs> well, I won't be watching the post game either. Uh, we'll be watching pregame or post game. So you can tell me about that on Monday. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Twelve twenty-four, right here on KDUS AM ten sixty. It is the extra point. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro, with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Continuing the Athletics' ten compelling Super Bowl stories to follow, and uh, off of that, going in our own direction and making it our own for what we're we're following along with these categories. We went through one through five. Now we get to number six here unfinished business for the 49ers uh we had talked about it i think to start the week if not the end of last week just how successful the 49ers have been in postseason play four playoff appearances two nfc championships in their last five years they obviously went to the super bowl and faced the chiefs from the 2019 season so they're looking to uh rectify that loss in that 2020 super bowl also capitalize on the consistency that they've had uh in the kyle shanahan era Definitely, and uh, I'm not one to think that you know, revenge from four seasons ago matters, and uh, I've really kind of shied away from that thought process until today uh, when, once again, Matt Mayoko joined me in the, in the sports zone at 10.15 this morning, and the same referee, the lead referee, was the same referee that was uh, in that Super Bowl that the Chiefs won, and... That was the controversial non-holding call against uh, Bosa in that final drive when Mahomes should have been would have been sacked if they just you know, if he hadn't been held. Uh, and then Bosa obviously commented this week about how they get they hold all the time, and he's right. I mean, it's inarguable because you know no group no offensive tackles have been called for holding more than the Chiefs this season. So that you know the revenge thing, I'm buying into it a little more now. But uh, yeah, certainly the success the Niners have had, they've been a great regular season team. Kind of remind me of NBA teams of the past. Not necessarily now, but a few years ago, it almost seemed like you know, when there were teams winning multiple championships in a row or you know, at least you know, contending or going to the finals multiple times in a row, it seemed like you had to learn how to lose in the NBA for a while before you actually won a championship. Uh, you know, the Pistons, obviously, and, and the Bulls, examples of that. 
Uh, so you know maybe that's what's going on with the Chiefs here. You got to you know, they unfortunately for them uh, the excuse me the San Francisco has learned how to lose here and now they get a chance to to beat the the mighty giant Chiefs even though San Francisco is favored to win the game and they've been favored to win every game this season. First team in seven years in the NFL that's been favored to win every game. Uh, yeah, and, and the other question I have here, too, is can the 49ers hop out to a lead and play as front runners? And maybe I'll save that for number eight on this list here. So we'll go to number seven, Brock Purdy's validation. He is 17-4 and four in his regular season starts, 68.7% completion percentage, 5,654 yards, 44 touchdowns, and 15 interceptions, but... It doesn't matter, uh, like, who the platform is. The conversation always gets turned to he's just a game manager and it's Kyle Shanahan's system. That's true, which is just complete crap. Um, I don't know what he needs to do. Uh, you know, everybody's on his case. or I shouldn't say everybody. Many uh, network television analysts are even trashing him after the game uh, that he had against the Lions in the second half. Uh, you know, it's his fault they fell behind. It's, you know, apparently his fault that they gave up 24 points in the first half. Uh, it's always uh, kind of, it, it, it seems like everything that has gone wrong for the 49ers, which isn't much, uh, the last year or so, it's his fault. Uh, and, you know, they're winning games because of him. Uh, what do they want, Jimmy Garoppolo back? Uh, see how that goes. We saw how that went. Yeah. Uh, number eight here, Kyle Shanahan's historic quest. First up, if Shanahan wins as a head coach, he'll be uh, part of the only father-son tandem to each win a Super Bowl as head coaches. I didn't quite realize that uh, heading into all of this. Maybe I was asleep uh, for th probably when everyone was talking about it for the 2020 Super Bowl. But um if I can take it a step further here, is this Kyle's own validation? He's answered the bell the last two, and his teams have answered the bell the last two games in this postseason by falling down and rallying to win after everybody was discussing their history uh, and Kyle Shanahan's history as head coach when they are not leading in the fourth quarter, what happens? So he's overcome that in these last two playoff games also avenging the 2019 Super Bowl loss and I think there still follows him 28-3 as the offensive coordinator to the Falcons those things are all pertinent I think one thing uh, valid I should say I think one thing that is pertinent uh, is the fact that they've fallen behind in these two playoff games thus far and for the season though uh, until these last couple of games they've had a really high percentage of scoring on their first possession yeah, so oftentimes it was, you know, the second possession of the game because, you know, they, they you know, when they, they do, they defer and, you know, all that. But they've been tremendous in the first possessions through the season for the most part, very high percentage. I know at one point he actually, they actually had the highest scoring rate to start a, you know, the first possession drives, highest scoring rate of the league. However, you better get off to a good start here because the Chiefs have actually scored in the first possession of nine consecutive playoff games. Wow. Uh, this other little nugget here, I think it's going to be something that I'll want to dive into more. Seth Wickersham of ESPN uh, wrote an article on Kyle Shanahan's, uh, his, 
His headline here is on Kyle Shanahan's brilliance and scars with insight into the parties he throws for players, miserable weeks for his assistants, and John Lynch's favorite meeting with cameos from Steve Young and Joe Montana. So it sounds like an interesting little article. But the part here that sticks out to me and has been circling around social media is that we know he can hire well and diverse. In fact, Owners have complained to the league office about the sheer number of compensatory picks the 49ers have received for serving as a pipeline for coaches and executives of color. That is really ridiculous that the owners are complaining about that. Well, what would you expect from NFL owners? Um, you know, they're you know, pompous bunch of asses, and uh, this just kind of confirms it. Number nine on this list, Christian McCaffrey's legacy here. If Christian wins the Super Bowl, he'd be just the second father-son tandem to win Super Bowls. Ed McCaffrey won um, a Super Bowl when he played with the 49ers as well as a couple with the Broncos there. The other father-son tandem was Giants linebacker Steve Diossi, and his son was a long snapper, Zach Diossi. Also, if Christian McCaffrey uh, and the 49ers win this game, would that kind of ascend him into being the best running back of this generation? Isn't he already? Who is instead, other if it's not him? Uh, could you could you talk about Derrick Henry? No. Okay. Uh, I can't. You, I, I don't think there's any comparative. There's no comparison i mean well, obviously good, christian but, is more diverse I mean, in uh being able to be a yeah. pass catcher i mean it's you know it's it, they're, they're, sorry I, I, I like derrick henry but it's not even close number 10 on the list here is trent williams uh final box checks checked for him in his career he's been discussed obviously as the best left tackle in the game for a long time here so putting a super bowl puts the icing on the cake for him in his career yeah, and I, I'm this is another. I think this is a really key part of the game on Sunday, is that you know basically you know, the 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 Chiefs get you know, when they're front four when they don't blitz, uh, which has been with high frequency obviously. And Brock Purdy, by the way, is the most efficient passer against the blitz in the NFL this season. So that's another big key for Sunday. But another thing is. They get when they're relying on their down defensive linemen to get a pass rush. Uh, they do that on the edges, like most teams, but they usually do it on the edges. They even put Chris Jones on the edges and both tackles. Well, that's not going to happen in this game, at least on the left side of the offensive line for 40, the 49ers. So I think one of the big things to look for and something I'll literally be looking for every play when San Francisco's on the field is, you know, where is, you know, Jones, where is, uh, Karloftis, who's had an excellent postseason, actually an excellent season period. Those guys have gotten lots of pressures, lots of sacks, etc., coming off the edge. And I assume that's going to be from the right side with the, you know, they've got, you know, that's the weak link of the San Francisco offensive line. Oftentimes, you know, George Kittle hardly ran a pass route in that first half against the Lions a couple weeks ago because they were so concerned about the pass rush. And he was uses a pass blocker and a chip blocker, and that, those are things I'll be definitely paying attention to, especially early in the game and whether that plays an immediate role. Because I think that could be a big edge for Kansas City on Sunday. Well, let's talk a little bit about George Kittle uh, because I had brought it up on Monday about George Kittle and the uh, the Dan Pompey article about 
breaking down tight ends and this fascination between looking at these two different tight ends in Kelsey and Kittle and how they stack up. Uh, just for perspective here, George Kittle, his numbers, 47 and a half yards was the last I looked on FanDuel for him. Kittle actually led all tight ends in receiving yards this year with 1,020 yards and six touchdowns. It was a very quiet 1,000 yards for him this year. But Kittle, I think, loves pancaking defenders. That seems to be something that he, like, thrives and relishes in. So in going through this article and talking about the various different tight ends and who have come before them and historically putting their stamp on the tight end position, when you look at the mold of Kittle, uh, he says you have to look at a Mike Dicka, a Mackie, a Casper, a Gronk that leads you to the evolution of George Kittle. When it comes to the complete diversity with Travis Kelsey, uh, you look at more of a Newsome, a Winslow, a Shannon Sharp, a Tony Gonzalez, and Antonio Gates that led you to Kelsey. So we have two different uh, tight ends who are both very good, uh, prolific pass catchers, but George Kittle uh, seems to really relish and, as you pointed out, maybe at times needed to be in there for blocking. I think Mark Bavaro should be on that list of uh, tight ends, too, that uh, were diverse. I mean, that guy was a stud. Tremendous blocker, excellent pass catcher. So, you know, those other guys, he should be right there with all those other guys you mentioned. Uh, I'm a little surprised he's not on that list. I think that's kind of an automatic thing. In fact, that's almost where I would start as far as a blocker and a receiver as a tight end. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. You know, Kittle did, uh, was limited last week in practice or whatever they did. I don't know how much they actually, quote, practiced last week. Uh, but, uh, you know, once again, according to Matt Mayoko, uh, you know, he's full go. And, uh, you know, you know, in fact, Matt suggested one of the things he was going to check today is, you know, the practice, they have to, injury practice reports. It, it's like a regular week now uh, for the rest of the week as far as uh, the Super Bowl goes and so forth. So after they have a practice today and they're going to have a practice report, you know, we don't pay much attention to those Wednesday things. But I'm assuming that uh, Kittle's going to be a full, full participant today after he was, you know, whatever limited action they did practice lies last week was apparently the case with the toe injury. Uh, there's only nine tight ends in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Casper, Dick, uh, Gonzalez, Mackie Newsom, Charles Sanders, uh, Charlie Sanders, Sharp, Jackie Smith, and Winslow. Uh, Gates is a semifinalist, though, in his first year of eligibility. And Jason, Witten, and Gronk are not yet eligible, but they are probably uh, next in line. Some of those guys were strictly pass catchers, too, and didn't really block anybody. Uh, so uh, I always have much more respect for the guys uh, that you know, you're an inline player. I mean, you got to block somebody at some point, but some of those teams, uh, you know, Shannon Sharp comes to mind here, uh, was you know, oftentimes a slot receiver more than he was actually a quote tight end. It's poll question time on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060, as always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app.
Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. KDOS AM 1060. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kim, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. It's time for poll questions. The first question, the KDOS1060.com poll question. Uh, we're not officially answering today. We are going to save it for Friday, but plenty of time for you to still uh, voice your opinion as the week unfolds. Who do you have in the Super Bowl? Kansas City plus two, San Francisco minus two. Uh, Kansas City out in front now at 52% of the vote. San Francisco at 48%. Yeah, I've been monitoring this all week long. Uh, it was 63% on Monday. It was 56% on Tuesday, basically, when we uh, left the airwaves. And both sides have been favored uh, in uh, today in the, uh, the week-long question that we have posted. Uh, a couple of things that caught my attention here. Back in the uh, the 2020 Super Bowl here, Kansas City was uh, a one-and-a-half point favorite. The over-under was sitting at 53 and a half. The score ended up being Chiefs 31, 49ers 20. So the total landed on 51. So that meant the under hit in that Super Bowl. Yeah, there was some crazy end uh, scoring at the end of that game, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fourth quarter, especially. I mean, it looked like it was a dead under. Uh, and somebody who had the under, I still remember that. Uh, but I don't think that plays, at least to me, I, I could care less about that game. There, there's... You know, there's only like, you know, there's like, what, 12 or 13 players on one of the, the Chiefs that are in that game. And I'm not sure about the Niners. I think it's somewhat in that same ballpark. But I don't think that game, quite frankly, other than the holding penalty, uh, the fact that you have the same referee in that game as this one, which I don't understand how the NFL could do that too, but they are. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't think that that game means jack once we get to Sunday. No, it shouldn't. Uh, just kind of interesting and in seeing where things have progressed four years later. Uh, but you mentioned about the players, uh, the Chiefs players from Super Bowl 54 to 58. Uh, there's nine players that remain on the roster. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes, tight end Travis Kelsey, tight end Blake Bell, guard Nick Allegheny, wide receiver McCole Hardman, defensive tackle Chris Jones, <laughs> kicker Harrison Butker, long snapper James Winchester, and defensive tackle Derek Nadati. At least a couple of those guys were there and left and came back to the Chiefs. And then for the 49ers, they also have nine players remaining from Super Bowl 54 to 58. Wide receiver Debo Samuel, tight end George Kittle, fullback Kyle Juszczyk, defensive end Nick Bosa, defensive tackle Arik Armstead, defensive tackle Kevin Givens, linebacker Fred Warner, linebacker Dre Greenlaw, and punter Mitch Wisnowski. I would say one thing for sure. I think there are more uh, impact players uh, that are you know, still with the Niners than for the Chiefs. That's what it seems. Some of those core players for sure, especially on the, well, I was going to yeah. say, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, core players is a better word than impact players, so I'm going to steal your term. 
Over on X at KDOS AM 1060, should it matter to the Diamondbacks that Clayton Kershaw is returning to the Dodgers? Uh, I'm on the no side of things. I mean, Kershaw is coming off of an off-season surgery. Obviously, uh, that's going to take some time for him to make his way back into the starting rotation. He's not going to be starting the season uh, right from the jump. Obviously, he's an all-time great pitcher, and he's had success against the the Diamondbacks, and it, it helps helps the Dodgers for his return, but I don't think Kershaw returning should have the Diamondbacks shaking in their boots or thinking that any sort of run can't happen for them now because Kershaw's back. Um, I kind of disagree. In fact, I totally disagree. Um, you know, it's not just Kershaw, though. Um, the Diamondbacks, I think they got they may they might actually dominate the Dodgers during the regular season, especially with Walker Bueller and Shohei Otani's questionable to start the season because of injuries, and Kershaw likely is going to miss at least the first half of the season after he's kind of coming off the shoulder surgery. But the Diamondbacks, I think the entire National League should be concerned about the postseason. When all those players might be and could be, and I wouldn't say should be, but uh, could be healthy, uh, you know, Kershaw, in a kind of a weird way, uh, missing the first half of the season, if he comes back healthy, could really help the Dodgers. You know, really for several seasons now, Kershaw is uh, you know landed on the injured list. He's had this back thing, which he never really had until they made the Major League Baseball forced the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers to take that stupid trip to Australia to start the season early. Uh, and by the way, Major League Baseball is doing the same thing this year, not to Australia. I forgot where they're going, but yeah, the, in fact, the uh, uh, the uh, Padres and uh, the Dodgers begin pitchers and catchers report like in two days, literally Friday. Uh, because of that early season thing. But anyway, that's where Kershaw first had the back problems. And he's pretty much had those for every year at some point since, except for like last year when he had the shoulder situation, uh, which occurred like in June or July in Colorado and then cropped up again at the end of the season, obviously. But bottom line, I think the Dodgers, they, they could be healthier and more prepared for the postseason than they've been in many years and Kershaw certainly would be a big part of that. And you know, if the Dodgers are healthy, uh, intact, uh, and healthy, you know, I could say this about probably other teams too, but I would not want to be playing them in a postseason this year. But many postseasons of the past, I've actually bet against the Dodgers after I thought they were the best regular season team. This year, I think the Dodgers, they're going to score a billion runs with their lineup, which is better than it even was last year. But I think that they can actually – be better in the postseason than they actually have been in the regular season, which I've rarely said over the years. Uh, masses are on the no side of things at 85% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 15%. That's over on X at KDUS AM 1060. Uh, pitchers and catchers reporting for the Diamondbacks. Uh, what is that? February 14th. And then the full yep. squad is February 19th. And the first game is February 23rd, so it's right around the corner. That is true. We'll start doing some baseball segments in the sports zone starting next week. One more segment to go on this Wednesday, February 7th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, back after this.
Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. February 7th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. It's that time once again. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, a Super Bowl preview, a 49ers viewpoint with Matt Mayoko, longtime Sports Zone guest from NBC Sports Bay Area. 10.15 tomorrow, another longtime Sports Zone guest, Mac Derrick, joins us from Chief Digest. We'll get injury updates from, from Matt, among other things. Also, sound day uh, courtesy of CBS, TBS, TNT, Fox, ESPN, and FS1. As always, special thanks to uh, Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, and then you also have Top of the Valley with Coach A, hosted by Jeff Munn tonight at uh, 7 p.m., that for ASU women's basketball conversation. Now, this sort of seems to be a really big deal, and and maybe it's not going to be a really big deal in the imminent, but has the potential to be a really big deal as things continue to progress in terms of uh, all the different media rights and how things are seemingly going in a streaming direction. It was announced yesterday that Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery announced plans for a joint streaming service this fall that combines all of their sports offerings together. So one-stop shop with this combined streaming service. There's no name yet put to it, but it's merging the sports content that appears on their linear and streaming properties. So that will include 15 networks, ESPN, ESPN Plus, ESPN2, ESPNU, SEC Network, ACC Network, ESPN News, ABC, Fox, FS1, FS2, the Big Ten Network, TNT, TBS, and True TV. So in all, that's going to mean NFL games for you, NBA games, Major League Baseball games, NHL games, college football playoff, the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments, 40 different NCAA championship events, the PGA Tour, FIFA World Cup, Grand Slam tennis, UFC, WNBA, uh, F1, NASCAR, NWSL. So basically, it turns out to be this cable for sports fans, but through streaming as it is right now, there's no price point yet, and NBC and Peacock, as well as CBS and Paramount Plus, are not included in this streaming uh, conglomeration. Okay. I was suggested for a name is we're going to make the consumer pay every cent out of their pocket to watch sports. How's that for a, a network name? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people that are mainly uh, sports consumers are – 
potentially excited about this because they can get rid of YouTube TV if they've gone to specifically just a streaming model and focus only on uh, these sorts of content. Obviously, you're not going to get, if you're interested in cable news or things like that, you're not going to be able to have access to that. Um, but in general, to your point, we are headed in this direction where you think about the NFL now has Amazon Prime, so you have to have a subscription for that. The NFL then experimenting with Peacock-only games, regular season and postseason, and with the success that they had, uh, you know, are we going to see more playoff games in a streaming-only capacity? The NBA negotiating their media rights deals and uh, you know what's on the horizon for them in trying to maximize opportunities? Are Apple TV, is Netflix, are those sorts of entities going to jump into the fray for live sports? So there's a whole lot of things that are happening in the streaming. But yeah, to your point, you only have so much money to afford to your uh, TV consumption. You can't pay for every single streaming service. And I've not paid for any of them so far. Maybe I'll have to in the future, but I would prefer to avoid doing that. Andrew Marshawn, he's now with The Athletic. Uh, he's quoted here as saying about this new uh, conglomeration of Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery that we are starting the great rebundling. There are combo deals everywhere, but we are not yet to a point that we are solving the sports fans' problem of simplifying their viewing experience and, and doing it at an affordable price. <laughs> this is a step in that direction, but further consolidation is needed. Simplify and affording are the key words there. I also forgot to mention in my whole rant there uh, that not even factoring in what you do for uh, your local sports, your regional sports networks, and obviously the whole regional sports network model has kind of blown up here in the last year or so. Uh, and so many different sports teams are having to find their own ways to to produce like the Suns had to do to find a new entity to right. deliver the uh, game to game uh, week in and week out day to day games for for local local viewers. So there's blown, a lot blown left up, to be decided. Blown, blown, blown up in a bad way. Yes, exactly. That'll do it for this Wednesday edition of Extra Point. Have yourselves a fantastic rest of the day. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp gets started with you tomorrow at 10 a.m.